nowadays we know that bison have a different impact than than cattle on grazing and the importance of bison. I think people are really starting to wrap their head around just what an impact bison has mm-hmm. on a landscape yeah. and what impact bison then have on the number of species that you can have and the uh, diversity, the biodiversity in an area. Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome to Your Forest. I'm Matthew Kristoff. On this podcast, we talk about the environment and the science of sustainability. This podcast is a forum for people to have conversations around interesting information regarding research and management being done on the environment. And yeah, it's just it's just conversations, right? And uh, it doesn't necessarily represent the views of the sponsors, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool opportunity to have discussions with people that know what's up. Today's episode is an episode that I could not be more excited to have. Uh, I've recently had a obsession with bison or, you know, American or Canadian buffalo. And uh, yeah, they're just a fascinating species that's that's so crucial to the ecology of the landscape, to the survival of, you know, the original inhabitants of, of North America, as well as the creation of, you know, current Western society in, in the United States and Canada, totally dependent on the fur trade and, and bison played a huge role in that. And, uh, yeah, just, and the conservation effort has been incredible as well. So like they, they, they were, there was a huge number, huge population pre-contact, pre-colonization, and then, uh, a massive die off because of commercial hunting basically. And then a great conservation effort the last hundred years to bring them back to some, some kind of level and continued efforts. Right. And it's really, really cool. It's a, it's, 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 you know, it's a good story. Uh, I brought Greg Wilson on Greg Wilson is a bison ecologist with parks Canada. And, uh, yeah, he's been doing research into all kinds of animals, uh, mainly bison. That's where his passion lies. He told me, uh, he's done stuff with chronic wasting disease and white tailed deer and mule deer done stuff with, uh, with the caribou habitat and that kind of stuff. So all kinds of stuff. But right now he's working in Elk Island National Park. Just got that job recently this year in 2019, actually. And uh, yeah, he came on to talk all about bison. So we talked about everything from how they came to North America, you know, across the Bering Land Bridge, who, like what kind of animals they came with, uh, how all the other animals kind of went extinct and the bison managed to survive. And then the when the inhabitants, the first inhabitants of North America came across the land bridge, uh, their dependence on bison and a lot of the reason they came might've been for bison and then getting into, you know, the commercial hunt that happened when uh, colonization happened and the massive die off of species that happened then. And then finally ending off the last probably 30, 40 minutes on, uh, on happy notes, talking about, uh, talking about, uh, the actual success story around bison coming back and, and some of the challenges and some of the hope and some of the, the cool messages. So it was, a, it was a great opportunity. Greg is a great speaker. So you guys are going to love it. Uh, they're an iconic species, bison, bison. And uh, yeah, sponsors for this episode are number one sponsor is West Fraser. West Fraser uh, has been a sponsor for the last couple of years. And without them, it would not have the reach and the opportunity that it has had. So I really appreciate their 
you know, their sponsorship as well as the work that they're doing to make sure that we have a sustainable landscape, whether that's, you know, uh, worrying about species at risk or dealing with wetland conservation or, 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 uh, indigenous consultation stuff or anything, all the, all the stuff that they go above and beyond to do. So I appreciate, uh, everything they do. Thank you. And also green Lake forestry has been a sponsor from the beginning. They, uh, yeah, again, doing great work in the forest industry and damaged timber, damaged timber is the last sponsor. They are an apparel company and they're coming out with some new stuff, uh, that you guys are going to be into some wood stuff. It's going to be cool. And, uh, yeah, you can check them out at damagedtimber.com. 10% of everything they sell goes towards a environmental sciences scholarship. And, uh, yeah, you get 10% off if you go to their website and type in your forest 10 at checkout. So check them out. And, uh, yeah, without any further messing around, let's dive right into it. Talking about bison, a lost icon, you could say. (laughs) So yeah, here we go. My obsession with the whole bison thing came from, well, the main obsession currently last over the last couple of years has been from that book, uh, American Buffalo by Stephen Ranella, right? And he was talking about the, uh, basically the whole history of it from the glacial period into the commercial hunts into, uh, you know, depicting the, he calls it Buffalo, right? He has, I'll, I'll yep. get into that. <laughs> and, uh. Anyways, it just it was just fascinating because it, it provided a lot of context for me regarding the importance of, of bison for uh, not just the establishment of Canada, but the establishment of like the original inhabitants of Canada, as well as just the ecology of it. And like, there's just so much. I think there's so much there that the average person or like most people, even the environmental sciences field, don't know about the importance of that, the important role that you know bison played in you know, in Canada or North America as a whole, I suppose. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that led me down the road to trying to find somebody. Luckily I found you. So I'm looking forward to this. So what, uh, what drove your passion? How did you get into, you know, talking about bison and dedicating your whole life towards, you know, this kind of stuff? Well, it started, I guess, when I was uh, pretty young, and my my grandfather used to take me camping at Elk Island National Park. And I like the story already. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's home to, uh, you know, pretty important plains bison herd and a pretty important wood bison herd mm-hmm. for uh, bison conservation in, in Canada and North America. Yeah. And so just having that experience in my youth, and then uh, when I was in university, I kind of fell in love with population genetics, and... Uh, as hard as it may be to believe. <laughs> <laughs> genetics is one of those, completely fascinating, but the word genetics, I think, is such a, yeah, it's it's a pretty monotone word for most people, I think. <laughs> but not for me. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and population genetics is like genetics, but more math. Uh-huh. So that's not so, really a, so, a big draw. So, yeah, so a double snooze, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people, it's not sexy. Yeah, it's not an explosion. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. And so, then, uh, uh, and then I uh, started my grad school. I was able to combine those two passions, population genetics and bison. And I looked at uh, population genetics of bison throughout North America. And uh, since then, through my career, I've I've kind of still have a population genetics passion, but I've sure. become more of a, a well-rounded ecologist. And Nice. Yeah. Fun stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. So 
Uh, before we get into the deep and dirty of it, one thing that uh, that was brought up in that book that I was telling you about that I thought was interesting was the difference between bison and buffalo. And you tell me, uh, so because I know it started as, as buffalo, right, and then became bison once the once the scientific Linnaean name came into play, right? Uh, do you know where the name buffalo came from? Like, do you know where how that evolved? Well, it. It came from people coming to the New World and thinking that they weren't necessarily in the New World and seeing new creatures and relating them to what they were familiar with. So right, right, for, right. for buffalo, it would be water buffalo and cape buffalo. And they saw these creatures here in North America and said, well, that those remind me of. And so they got the same name. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, they're both, they're both bovine animals, I suppose. Right? Yeah. So but not they're not related directly, I suppose. No, not that close. No. Right, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, in the in that book there, he was talking about uh, just to add some more specificness to it. He was saying that in sh- it was roughly Shakespeare's time, and these are his words, kind of you know paraphrased. But it was roughly around Shakespeare's time where there was a, a military people wore a coat called a buff coat, I guess. Right, and it was made from like a thick leather, generally from any animal that produced such leather was called a buff. Or, mm-hmm. Or, or buffalo or a bu- whatever, right? And it was uh, so like anything from a moose to a manatee to a whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, when they, they came to the new world, obviously, you know, bison got that same uh, that same name. And then eventually, apparently, according to him, anyways, I don't know if it's true. I haven't backed it up besides listening to him, but he seems to be pretty well researched. So I'm going to trust him for a minute. And uh, yeah, apparently, he was saying that the, eventually all the other animals managed to get their own names. And that the North American buffalo was left with the sole, you know, name of buffalo. And then from there, it got confusion because of the water buffalo and the, and the, what was the other one? The Eurasian? Cape. The Cape buffalo. Cape, Cape buffalo. Yes. And they're not related. So then it's, yeah. So it's interesting because he, the whole book, he calls it American buffalo. And I was like, he's really mm-hmm. like, doesn't want us, doesn't want to go with the, I guess <laughs> there's a lot of confusion though, right? Even today, like a hundred years after I don't know how long ago they named it. How long ago did the Linnaean name come in? Come in? Oh, it was it was in the 1700s for sure. Oh, 1700s. So yeah. Like, oh, shit. Okay, so a while back. Yeah. And so two, three hundred years later, there's mm-hmm. still, I would say, most people still call it buffalo. Like yeah. The, the general public, right? Yep. So it's two perfectly good names, I guess, but one's definitely scientifically better. So yeah. what, what do you prefer? I'm guessing you prefer bison. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I prefer bison. Yeah, just uh, being in the scientific field. But, right. uh, you know, it's it's the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Do people get uppity about it? Like, do you find scientists getting uppity about people calling a buffalo? Uh, not not really, I think. I mean, it's just so common, sure. you know, to, be, to have it referred to as buffalo that it people just, are just used to it. Right, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. You had a smile there. Like, you know, a couple people that maybe get offended, but... <laughs> <laughs> also, maybe we got offended about anything, right? Oh, that's very true. Good point. Yes, excellent point. Um, okay, so I wanted to start with like way back and start with the the establishment of bison in uh, North America. Can you speak to that? Uh, like, a little bit. Yeah, that's a all we need. Bit, yeah. I'm not saying we need to go full con like full detail here, but just kind of the general context of how they made it over and how they came to be the largest natural ranging land mammal in North America. Sure. So there, there are a number of different types of bison that have existed. Um, bison priscus is the most recent common ancestor, okay. uh, as far as we know. But there's bison latifrons, bison occidentalis, and uh, a few more as well. Okay. Um, basically, they came across the Bering Land Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, evolved 
over here. And I should say right now, there's a number of different theories as to how exactly sure. they all this is all theoretical. At this they point. all came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone, not everyone, but you know, there's certainly different stories that that people yeah. prefer. Yep. But uh, and that was be, roughly that was like what like a hundred thousand years ago, I think. Yeah, the, it was about that. Yeah, when the, when the land bridge was opened. Okay, so yep. well before people ever made it over here. Well before people ever made it over here, yeah. for sure. Okay, and they so then the the land bridge uh, closed, of course. But during the, during the meantime, they evolved into the different types here in North America, mm-hmm. and they spread throughout the continent, basically. Right. Um, and as time went on. Yet, yet different types, and as as you know, most of the megafauna became extinct mm-hmm. in North America. All the massive sloths and yeah, all bears the crazy and... stuff like beavers as big as you know, <laughs> yeah, <your> car and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mammoths and uh, yeah. yeah. The sloths were the weirdest one for me when I went to first saw one of those giant ground sloths. That weirded me out. I was yeah, like, what do you mean? There's like a 800 pound sloth <laughs> dragging itself along the forest floor like how did that thing not get killed <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah anyways but yeah but yeah there, there was a lot of huge animals back then and so mm. and then it was what around how long ago was that mass mass die-off do you remember i don't know if you go it, to the royal alberta museum around i'll tell you exactly 10,000 i think if i remember correctly and then, 10, 000, yeah okay. okay and so um just that, that would have been and, and people showed up here around so far, our understanding is what thirteen thousand, yeah. roughly, mm-hmm. and they would have came across. We still don't know, but we think it was the Bering Land Bridge as yeah. well. And yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So that was still open at that time. Yeah, yeah, and so um, and the arrival of humans was certainly not coincidentally when you started losing a lot of these megafauna as well. They were just right easy for people to hunt. Mm-hmm. But uh, so bison had been evolving at the same time. They'd moved back across the um, the Bering Land Bridge. Right. So. And then came back again. So the the bison that we have today have hybridized from bison that have always been in North America and bison that had moved back across the land bridge oh. and come across. And bison that we have today are also the, it's hard to believe, but they're the smallest bison that have ever existed. So what's the biggest bison that you know of? It's uh, bison latifrons, I think? Yeah, and these are the ones that had horns that are... You know, sit, stick six feet out either side of their heads and just <laughs> a real <laughs> crazy mess. thing. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you know roughly how big those were? How much? How much bigger? Oh, for context. Off the top roughly. of my head, I uh, you know they're going to be probably two and a half times bigger, or something like that. And what's the, the average size of a, like a current bison? Bison. Uh, so the the wood bison are larger than the plains bison. The wood yeah. bison can be about a thousand kilograms. Okay. So yeah, over so over two thousand pounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm, okay. Mm-hmm. And then so so these. You said it was latifrons? Uh, yes. And that was, so that one could be five, six thousand. Yeah, that's exactly. Big animal. Good Lord. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, that'd be fascinating to see one of those a day, right? Like we don't, mm-hmm. we look at science fiction, like we don't need, all we need to do is look into our past to find science fiction animals, right? Like I don't think we need to go very further than, you don't have to go outside of the earth to see stuff that's weird. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And then, so, yeah, and anyways, the, the die-off of the megafauna, that was, yeah, they're still sorting that out, too. There's all kinds of theories around humans mm-hmm. being around during that time, but also uh, a, a massive climate shift and all kinds yes. of stuff. Yeah. And for some reason, apparently, the, the bison ended up being the largest one to survive yes. and become extremely prominent, if I'm not 
Mm-hmm. Right, like they're the most mm-hmm. prominent land mammal in North America for a very, very long time. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, let's t- like, like, do we know around the time of like, say, uh, the original inhabitants coming to Canada around thirteen, ten, thirteen thousand years ago? Mm-hmm. Do we ru- do we know roughly how many bison there? Like, obviously, this would all be an estimate, and like, you know what I mean, an educated guess. Yeah. But uh, roughly, like, how many would have been around back in that time? Yeah, an educated guess for sure. But yeah. I mean, we're talking millions millions okay yeah so they're very very and it's a slightly different landscape too more plains i'm assuming and yeah not as much forest and that yeah. kind of stuff so okay yeah and at that time actually the the wooden plains bison wouldn't have even differentiated oh okay so it was still uh because they're the same species still they're just correct different different subspecies but there was a time where we thought that the plains and the and the wood buffalo were actually different right because that was wasn't it called wasn't the wood buffalo called bison in athabasca at one point Something Not like it was always bison bison Athabasca. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 Oh, it was bison bison Athabasca. So it was like a subspecies almost. Correct. Like yeah. But now I realized it's not a subspecies. It's just a. Well, that's. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> no, let's sort that out. What's the deal uh, there? What's okay. The deal there? Yeah. It's. Uh... You're the geneticist. You tell me what's yeah. going on. <laughs> it's a complicated one. It's definitely a very complicated one. Okay. Um, basically, there are are two confusing factors. One being. Uh, were wooden plains bison ever good subspecies? And the problem, one of the problems there is that we don't really have a good definition of what subspecies are. Ah. A lot of the definitions that people have used for subspecies are the same ones that they've used for species. And it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. There's, <laughs> there's a difference, obviously, between a species and a subspecies. Well, so science you... is supposed to have defined rules. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> defined rules, but arbitrary at the same time when you're dealing with something like subspe- what is a subspecies. Sure. Okay. So, the, you know, the best definitions are it's somewhere between a population and a species. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a brutal definition. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty <laughs> okay. much. Okay. Okay. Um. And then to conf- complicate matters even further, mm-hmm. uh, during the early 1900s, mm-hmm. there was basically one herd of wood bison left, mm-hmm. and it was in Wood Buffalo National Park, about 3,000 animals, give or take. Okay. Uh, around 6,600 plains bison were shipped up to Wood Buffalo National Park at the same time. Yeah. And those bison hybridized to some level that we don't really know. Ah. So the wood bison that we have today are not the wood bison that we had before that hybridization. Gotcha, gotcha. Is that uh, is that the only like was that the sole surviving uh, naturally found wood bison? It was. Was it was, it was, was there was nothing else? There was nothing else at the time. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the genetically, we're talking like a pretty small group. You said three thousand. Yeah, three thousand. Yeah. So, how much of a concern is that genetically to have that small of a group left over? Yeah, you know what? Um, as far as bison populations go, yeah. um, and and that and Wood Buffalo National Park population had a low of two hundred and fifty. Oh, geez. Yeah. So. So that. So when was that? That would have been turn of the century, a uh, turn of the last century. Okay. Um, in eighteen ninety six, give or take, there would okay. have been about two hundred fifty animals left, and and uh, Wood Buffalo National Park actually was created to protect the last herd of wood bison and their habitat. Good googly moogly. So de- 250 left. Yeah. That's definitely a problem genetically, no? Well, you know what? Looking at bison on the whole, for mm-hmm. plains bison, you know, a lot of plains bison wish they could have had 250 founders. Like they're uh. starting from a dozen animals, sometimes less. Huh. So 
I mean, not ideal, yeah. but yeah, yeah. it uh, it is what it is. It's it's not concerning relative to other bison populations. And right. then, you know, it's not a good thing that those plains bison got shipped up there. But at the same time, it was an influx of new genetic diversity to the point where we don't know what wood bison looked like genetically before that happened. Sure. But now, uh, the Wood Buffalo National Park population is one of the most genetically diverse bison populations in the world. Oh. That's good. Which is good. Absolutely. <laughs> we don't know what that means relative to the natural, but I mean, that's gone. So we have to deal with what we got now, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So just to back up a little bit more uh, before we get into uh, too deep into the current like situation, I want to provide some more context of how we got to where we're at mm-hmm. now. So if, that, if that's cool with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so roughly, well, did, we, did we say roughly how long ago? It was like roughly 5,000 years ago that the current animal yes evolved into yep. what it is that we know of today okay yep. so there was there was roughly an 8000 year period where uh humans and the, the older bison types lived yeah amongst yes. each other and so how important uh how important was from my, from what i understand the bison was like for a lot of especially the plains tribes and that kind of stuff it was ex- like crucially important to their entire way of life right yes. so that's something that was there was even arguments that I heard from varying sources saying that that may have been the main reason that they had originally crossed the Bering Land Bridge was following bison herds because they're, for whatever reason, I guess easy to hunt or something. I don't know, but um, so yeah, how important? How, how important really? Can you can you provide some context there? What, what was the existence of bison to the original inhabitants? Yeah, it, it was. You know, I don't want to go all the way to say that it was everything, but it was it was extremely important. It allowed okay. it was a, a fairly common food source that mm-hmm. people could follow around and, and have access to throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And um, as you say, easy to find because you're getting into you know large, large, large herds of animals. So, like how large are we talking? Uh, you know, hundreds of thousands could be. So when, once you know what these herds are, mm-hmm. you can follow them and have this constant source of. Well, I, I said food, but it's not just food. It's yeah. it's food and tools and yeah. um, teepees and everything else that you yeah. know the the indigenous people at the time used bison for for everything. It was everything? Yeah, they, they, they used the, the the hides for for clothing for yeah covers on teepees yeah. for they used they they and they they ate every part of it. They ate the organs. They made tools. Like if you go to the Royal Alberta Museum here, the mm-hmm. new exhibit. I think most of the bone tools that they have are, from, are made from bison bone, and, that, and they're going back thirteen thousand years. They've yep. got evidence of that, right? Yeah. So like they were making they were making uh, awls and their and, and all kinds of stuff, right? Like it's it's fascinating to see just how integrated into the lifestyle of the original inhabitants of North America that that creature was. So like arguably, without that creature, we may not have had people the way we had we did end up having right them, yeah right? that's so, that's the argument that, that Stephen Ronella makes there in his book for sure yeah yeah for sure it's interesting very very interesting and what like what made obviously a hundred like, like a group of a hundred thousand head is a obviously a massive like it's hard you're not going to miss that right mm-hmm. I'm sure you can hear that from miles away walking around right um or even just dust clouds and stuff yep. like it's probably wouldn't pretty, that be amazing would, would you, oh it, it'd be ridiculous <laughs> 
Like I, 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 the whole time I was reading that book, I was fantasizing about just having like driving to Calgary and just seeing bison crossing the highway, like a mm-hmm. big massive herds. You have you know? to stop for like a day because <laughs> bison are <just laughs> crossing. You got to set up camp. That'd be all right with me. Like, like sorry, I couldn't make it to work. I, uh, yeah, there was bison crossing the road. Had to set up camp and watch. Like that would be pretty wicked. <laughs> it's never gonna happen. It's totally we're past that now. Yep. Yeah, the 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 industrial machine has moved forward and we're in that stage. But but yeah, that would be incredible. Will just be one of those people crossing the Bering Land Bridge, you know, thirteen thousand years ago, following some friggin' dust cloud that's a hundred miles away because mm-hmm. there, there's a hundred thousand head of them, right? Like it's, yeah, it's I can't even I can't even fathom what that would be like, but it's cool. It's very very cool. And then, uh, is there evidence of like uh, the importance of like the woods bison to like the northern? Like the, the the northern tribes that lived in the forest and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's the the wood bison has a different way of life. Sure, they have the you know, much smaller herds, and uh, uh, you know, solitary is definitely not the the right word, but they're certainly yeah. much more solitary than plains bison are. So they're a little harder to to make a living on, especially when you have you know, massive herds of barren ground caribou that That's, are yeah rolling around. I was gonna, I was going to compare them to actually. Would it be fair to compare them to, like, yeah, the barren land caribou versus the woodland caribou? Kind of the same idea? Like, there's. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Yeah, like the same kind of idea on the barren ground. You group up for protection and, mm-hmm. and survival. And when you're in the thick, heavy bush, you want less of that because you want less evidence that you were ever there. So mm-hmm. it's pretty fair. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, that was my question because the, from a lot of accounts from like earlier explorers and that kind of stuff, there was people who were, they were commercial bison hunters and had never seen, never claimed to have seen a wood bison because they're so elusive or whatever. But, um, so obviously the plains bison was the, was the pro, the, the prominent species, I would, I would assume. We were across the Great Plains. Yeah. Or, oh, absolutely. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 And then, so, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's fascinating to think about the importance to the humans and then the importance to the ecology as well. Cause I mean, you're going to have a hundred thousand head of animal in one herd and whatever. I, th- I think at one point I saw, they said at the beginning of the 1700s, there was an estimated like 32 million or some craziness. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if that was a peak population. Yeah, or... I've seen estimates as high as 60 million. 60 million. Yeah. 300, 400 years ago. Yeah. Could you imagine? It is really <laughs> hard to imagine. Is like, really Do we have anything that's that prominent besides ants? <laughs> like, like we can't, like, is, there, is there that many squirrels? There might be that many squirrels. Oh boy. Yeah, I, there might be. Yeah. But there's not that many. Like, I can't imagine there's that many deer. And like I would say, deer is probably the closest thing so. we have to like a really like yep. you know down in the states, the white-tailed deer is just rampant, right? Like mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. But I can't imagine we have that many. No, like sixty million, and this is a, a one to two thousand pound animal we're talking about, not yep. a hundred fifty to you know three hundred yeah, yeah, pound yeah. animal. So, yeah, the impact that that must have on the ecology of a landscape must massive. be ridiculous, massive, massive. Yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we we call them keystone species. So they they impact. You know, so many, and, and it's, it's even, uh, even nowadays we know that bison have a different impact than, than cattle on grazing and the importance of bison. I think people are really starting to wrap their head around just what an impact bison has mm-hmm. on the landscape yeah. and what impact bison then have on the number of species that you can have and the uh, diversity, the biodiversity in an area. So, so you can almost, 
would it be fair to say, I have to be careful when I'm saying stuff like this, but <laughs> I tend to, I tend to get excited. I'm like, oh, is this, so that means this, my mind goes places and I jump to conclusions. But so it's, it, it would be fair to say that the species richness that exists uh, without bison is going to be much lower than that that exists with. Like it's going to be something that like we've definitely yes. lost. You could say that we could, we've definitely lost habitat because of the loss of bison. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, cattle are more sort of homogeneous grazers. So they okay. graze everywhere equally, okay. give or take. Yep. And bison are more heterogeneous grazers, which means uh, they hit some areas really hard and hit some areas not as hard. So you get this heterogeneous landscape and it opens up habitat for species that – uh, you know, plant animal species that are really more interested in the areas that are heavily disturbed, and right. and the ones that like a lot less disturbance. So just the, yeah, okay, that makes sense, and probably providing a lot more opportunity for like for seed travel and for all, all oh, kinds of stuff yeah, like it's, that. It's, right? Yeah, it's it's everything for sure. It's the yeah. um, you know, just like you say, them inhaling seeds and spreading those around, inhaling fungi and fungi spores and mm-hmm. spreading those around and uh it's without without bison on the landscape doing these things it's it's it has a major impact for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah like i'm trying i'm trying to like <laughs> i'm trying to contextualize that importance right to the i mean obviously our landscape today is vastly different than it was even 300 years ago when we still had these roaming giant herds, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, which is crazy to try to imagine, right? Cause I, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a prominent point that I bring up constantly in these episodes. It seems to come up the fact that the forest and, and wildlife or the, the landscapes that we have today are not the landscapes of, of 300 years ago, pre-colonization, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have much more homogeneous landscape, just kind of period across mm-hmm. whether it's, well, I mean, I mean, the plains are all agriculture at this point. The, the forest has been like we've we've stopped fighting or we started fighting fires so now we have this homogeneous kind of age age level of the forest yep. and compared to previous I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad just that it's compared to what the historical natural range was it's different it's definitely more homogeneous less variation and so it's it's interesting to hear that yeah the bison played a role in doing that on the plains mm-hmm. as much as fire suppression had a role in changing that in the forest right so it's yeah yeah for sure yeah it's wild and so i want to get into uh like colonization and so we've established the fact that this is a crucially important species actually you know one more thing first actually before we get into that i want to talk about the uh, uh, buffalo jumps okay what's to do with buffalo jumps because like that's it, so you have this massive herd right yep and the idea of a massive herd committing mass suicide because they're being chased by a much smaller, much fewer number of predators seems weird to me. And I'm sure it has something to do with the psychology of being chased down by something that you're afraid of and, yeah. and, and herd mentality and stuff. But can you explain to me kind of like how so many indigenous groups were able to be so crazy successful at, you know what I mean? Pushing whole herds off of cliffs to their death and then, like to the point where they they literally had 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 so much excess that they were just doing choice cuts, right? They were just taking right. what they needed and leaving most of it to to rot and for the carrion and stuff like that. Right. Well, uh, there's a number of factors. One is like, they're they're an extreme herding animal. They mm-hmm. it's really important to them to stay together in a group. Okay. And you, it's hard to think of more animals that are you know we talked about bearing ground caribou would certainly be one. Okay. But um, 
you know. There you go. We can buffalo jump caribou. Let's go Maybe. for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have enough problems of yeah, their own. Yeah, probably leave them be. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's that aspect. So that when you get them moving, they all want to stay together. Sure. And it's funny, actually, when I was just driving here, I was on the uh, Hende. Okay. And someone had lost a tire off their vehicle and it was sitting in the middle lane. Yeah. So you're driving along and all of a sudden the guy in front of you veers and you're like, oh my God, there's a tire like right in front of me. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing, right? It's right. the the bison behind. They don't know what's happening. They they can't see. They're just following really closely the guy in front of them. And the guy in front of them goes off the cliff. And then you go too because you didn't know it was there. So is it like – but I'm just imagining the first first bison to go off the cliff, which I'm guessing is probably a lead cow. Probably, right? It seems like most herd animals have like – the lead animal is actually a cow. Yep. Right? Yep. Wouldn't you see the cliff? Like (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but at that point, you got a lot of pressure from behind, too. I guess, hey? It's not that easy to stop when you have a thousand bison behind you. Yeah, like what's top clip for a bison? Oh, they can easily run faster than people, that's for sure. I would assume so with the yeah. four-legged transportation <laughs> generally does, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's around 45, 50 kilometers an hour, if an I hour. remember correctly. So 45 kilometers an hour. Like how long would that take for them to stop? I'm guessing it probably takes them a few dozen meters to stop. Yeah, they. You know what? They can stop pretty quick. Can they? Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there's a like one thing I've heard that I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, almost a, a um, uh, an optical illusion on the planes. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you it looks sure. like it's yep. continuous landscape, and then all of a sudden it's not. And yep. it, by that point, it's too late mm-hmm. or something. Is that something that I think that can come into play as well? Yeah. It. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's it's just it's just an interesting. I don't know. It's it's a fascinating way that the, that you know the original inhabitants managed to survive, mm-hmm. and that it's it's just weird. It's just weird that that that, that happens. But I guess yeah, it has to do with herd mentality and just I guess you think about people and mob mentality, right? The things that mobs will do that no individual human would ever consider rationally doing. <laughs> and you're like, okay, there's something to being in a group that's going to cause you to do some stuff that is maybe outside of your character or outside of your most you know, uh, I guess your direct benefit <laughs> sure and you have to you have to remember that uh you know before humans they they were hunted by wolves and the best way that they uh could avoid being taken down by wolves is you get the 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 herd running yeah and you have you try to put the larger individuals on the outside right and the the wolves have to you know try to work their way in somehow so they're used to thinking that this rapid movement yeah. is a good way to get away from a threat. Absolutely. That was the best way to do it for, for hundreds of thousands of exactly. years. So it's like, why would they change for humans, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's going to be a hell of a, a tough time for a wolf, for like a hundred pound wolf to take down a 2,000 oh, pound. I'm sure they're yeah. not going for the bulls. They're going for the smaller calves and the old and stuff. But still, that's got to be a hell of a time trying yeah. to take down a bison. That must be. Yeah. Weird. Especially, oh, there's, um, so Wood Buffalo National Park, which we, yep. we mentioned earlier, yep. it has. We'll get back to it. Don't worry. We're, okay. get, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> Building context. This is going to be a long conversation. <laughs> it has the only, uh, unbroken relationship between bison and wolves in North America. Unbroken. So, oh. So there, there have been bison and wolves there for, you know, Lord knows how long. Huh. And it's amazing the work that the wolves have to do to be able to take the bison down. They almost have 
football plays where they're like, okay, we're going to put two wolves over here and these three are going to try to chase the bison yeah. this direction. And they strategize. Hey? They strategize, absolutely. And it, it boggles my mind how they managed to communicate that to each other. Terrifyingly smart animals. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, but as a consequence, like the herds are, or the, the packs rather, are, are much larger mm-hmm. in Wolf Buffalo National Park than the wolf packs, the wolf packs yeah. than, than otherwise because uh, they need to have a number of animals. To be able oh, to take a bison down. I see it's out of necessity. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Just to just to get the herd going to be able to exactly to to create the confusion and chaos that they can take advantage of. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Cool. That's interesting that they're that that Wood Buffalo National Park has always had bison. They've always had bison. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. I thought it was something that was like after you know the commercial hunt and the kind of eradication of bison in most of their area that that was something that they had uh, that we had established and then put them back in but they, there was always a natural herd there yes yeah, so there are only two in north america yeah. yellowstone national park has had an unbroken well, too. Okay. relationship and wood buffalo national park so going from that okay so i wanted to talk about which we'll get into the colonization and okay. i want to talk about the, the commercial hunt and that kind of stuff so uh <clears throat> my understanding is so people showed up here picked up on the fact that there's millions upon millions, tens of millions of, of these giant massive animals running around that are relatively easy to hunt, I guess, compared to moose and elk and deer and that kind of stuff. Um, at what point did, I'm guessing that ever since that they came over, the, the uh, you know, colonizing forces, that there was probably some kind of focus on bison. But at what point did it become that they did, did they realize how, uh, you know, potentially, ben- or I don't know how to word it, but how uh, monetarily important <laughs> a, a, a that resource was, and did they start when? When did they actually start the commercial hunt to the extent that we know and like remember today? Hmm. So, are we talking about uh, indigenous groups or? Europeans? Sorry, I know indigenous groups did that. Like, okay. There was a lot of that. That was part of it, I guess. So, yeah, just I mean, I'm talking about the commercial hunt as far as uh, not not non indigenous groups doing. Preserve, like doing hunting for their own tribes, but more for the commercial sale. Right? Gotcha. That okay. kind of stuff. So when did that begin? When did we start selling hides and that kind of stuff and that push for uh, industrial gain or, 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 or goods and services instead of just uh, hunting for survival type thing? Yeah, I don't think that took very long once Europeans arrived in, yeah. in North America and started pushing west. It, you know, yeah. you, you start noticing millions of bison pretty quickly. And uh, yeah. also noticing that the indigenous groups are, are making you know, full use of them and that there's a lot of value for, for bison. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, do you know, because I, I, I've noticed like, uh, so the, the height of the commercial hunt when it really started doing it, correct me if I'm wrong, was that like the end of the 1800s? Was that was the mass, was it was like the big, I know that it was yeah. going on for a long time. Yeah. But so, when it really got going and, and, and ramped up to the point where they were killing millions a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there'd be 1870s. 1870s, yeah. like, around that time. Mm-hmm. And I read somewhere that, that, that the entirety of the, like the massive push of the commercial hunt might have been as short as like 12 years. Or like, a, like, a, like maybe a couple decades or something like that. Yeah, that once true? people really... Put their minds to it. They uh, yeah. They they wipe bison out pretty quickly. Yeah. So that's that's true. Mm-hmm. So we went from a herd of, or sorry, not a herd, a population of potentially whatever tens of millions, yep. thirty to sixty million bison in the seventeen hundreds, mm-hmm. and 
and maybe what was the estimated population when colonization happened? Do you know of plains and woods, bison together, kind of? Yeah, thing? I mean, it would be you know, it would, tens of millions, for still sure. tens of millions. Yeah, so like, wouldn't be unreasonable to say thirty million. No, nope, not unreasonable. In North America. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in a period of roughly twelve years, we went from thirty some million to how many? The lowest is probably if we're talking just plains bison. The lowest was probably about a thousand. Lord, that's yeah. That's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. Like what? So you think about the entire existence of, of bison in North America for roughly a hundred thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. At these massive numbers of tens of millions of bison, and in a, in a series of and also sustainable uh, populations being held by the indigenous inhabitants yep. for thirteen thousand years, right? Like they lived harmoniously with those animals and, and took what they needed, and mm-hmm. and you know what I mean. I'm sure they put a dent in it, but also it didn't not to the point where it became unsustainable. And then European settlers come over, and we just messed them up. In a matter of twelve years, we killed thirty million. Pretty much, yep. I can't even imagine the amount of resources that would have had to go into that. Like it seems unfathomable that back then. You know, 130 years ago, 150 years ago, that they would have had the capacity to move that much meat and hides and bones and that kind of stuff. But obviously, well, guess, and a lot of it wasn't moved as well, right? It was okay. just like they were they were shooting bison from trains just for fun. Oh, and uh, so just completely unregulated, just just exactly wild wild west stuff. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that nuts though? Like I feel like we would have a hard time killing that many wild animals today. I mean, we don't have yeah. that I mean, we don't have that kind of prevalence of an animal now. I mean, besides caribou maybe, but there's not that many. No, there's not even close to that many. There's like a few hundred thousand yeah. caribou. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's just something that blows my my mind. That so we Absolutely. Went, so, so we had this massive ecological force, this 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 huge species that was important for the ecology, for other species, for uh, the original inhabitants crucially important, and and in a matter of twelve years, we managed to basically extirpate them. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Almost, almost extinct. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, when did how long did it take for society to recognize <laughs> what we had, what we did, and to start pushing for uh <laughs> you know what i mean the protection of and conservation of that species sure um you know not very long and so i mentioned before there were about a thousand plains bison give yeah. or take mm-hmm. uh most of those animals it's not like there was a big herd somewhere there were oh a low of i think 25 in yellowstone national park okay but they were just bits and bobs running around and it's such a small number it's ridiculous oh, it yeah. seems it Absolutely. seems unfathomable that they would bounce back from that Yes. Yeah. No. They you know? certainly could have gone the other way. There's no doubt. Yeah. So how 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 did they manage to bounce back from that? Like what? Like I said, how long did it take for us to realize? Was it was there a big push during the commercial hunt to be like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa? Well, when the, when it... numbers started started <laughs> declining, uh, you know, there were certainly people that yeah. um, uh, that were making a living from from bison. They were like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't uh, such a great idea. Right. But what happened is because bison are such herding animals, mm-hmm. when you only have two, three left here and there, yeah. uh, often they would end up with people's cattle. Uh, and gotcha. some of these people who had cattle were conservation-minded, I guess, uh-huh. when, it, when it came to the bison. And they started trying to collect these animals and make 
private herds of bison. And so it was actually, for the most part, private individuals in the U.S. that uh, that really recovered Plains bison. Oh. And then in the – so there were probably, oh, between five and ten major ranchers that had bison. Okay. Uh, one of the more famous ones was uh, Michelle Pablo and Charles Allard. Okay. So it was known as the Pablo Allard herd. Okay. Um, Michelle Pablo was an indigenous man, and he was keeping the bison on – he was arranging them – on reserve land, okay. and he was going to the U.S. government was going to um, basically not let him do that anymore. So he oh. had thousands of at this point thousands of bison. This was uh, in the early 1900s. Oh, and he was he was he was managing them to like so he he probably started with a few and he's he's exactly he was actively managing to increase their herd and exactly. Trying, okay, so why did the government step in? Just the herd was getting too big, type thing, or no, they wanted to use the animal the the area for cattle ranching. Oh, okay. So he had, Michelle Pablo had to find something to do with these buys, and he tried to sell them to the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Uh, it fell through, and he ended up selling them actually to the Canadian government, to Parks Canada. Oh, okay. And so in the, in the early 1900s, these animals got shipped to Elk Island National Park. Okay, that was in the 1900s that that was established. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Was it established specifically for the influx of that herd? It was actually established for, um, Elk conservation, Elk Island National yeah. Park. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and but it, what happened was the there was another national park called Buffalo National Park. Okay, in um, it doesn't exist anymore. It's now CFB Wainwright. Okay, and the idea was they were going to ship all of the animals to Buffalo National Park, but mm. Buffalo National Park wasn't fenced, mm. and Elk Island National Park was. So they're like, oh, well, in the meantime, let's just throw them in Elk Island National Park. And the idea was. They would then remove them all out and ship them to Buffalo National Park. Mm. Um, they ended up leaving 50 of them in Elk Island National Park, and there's mm. some debate as to whether they were unable to round these ones up or if they kind of decided they liked having them around sure. and were, you know, quote, unquote, I'm using air quotes, unable to round them up, but, yeah. you know, just left them there. And, yeah. But it's um, it's a huge conservation story for, for bison because this is – the Pablo Allard herd is, I think, really only represented in animals from Elk Island National Park. Huh. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's it, so we had to get them from so they so the Canadian government just purchased them from this. That's right. Yeah, from this dude. Yeah, they were gone. Uh, Plains bison were gone from Canada. Oh, really? They were totally yeah. extirpated from Canada. So yeah. all we had left was the wood bison and, and wood buffalo up way up north. That's right by Northwest Territories. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, when was when was Wood Buffalo established? Like the actual park itself? Yeah. So right. that was um, in the 1920s. But before then, there were some um, protections put in place, and they actually had uh, some RCMP officers, mm-hmm. that's Northwest Mounted Police at the time, mm-hmm. uh, who were supposed to try to protect the wood bison. Um, before that, even though, even before it was a, a national park. Oh, okay. So it was, it was something that we were aware of as soon as the, like, as soon as the, the, the commercial hunts started getting out of hand, they were like, okay, we need yep. to start thinking about this. So there, so we were, there was recognition. It was just that the, the industrial machine was, was too powerful and no one's stopping that thing once it gets rolling. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. Like, what, what do you, what do you think the ramifications were? Like, can, do we have, uh, evidence of what? happened directly like ecologically speaking i mean mm-hmm. what happened directly after that massive 
extirpation event of, of the commercial hunt? You know, not a lot, but it, I mean, it would have massive, massive repercussions because so many species relied on bison to, you know, like I was saying before, just open up habitats. Yeah. But there were also things like um, the amount of feces that 60 million bison were creating. I say, yeah. It's a lot of fertilizer. For fertilizer that was now absent. Mm-hmm. Even things like uh, bison hair was used by a number of small mammals and a number of birds for, for nesting. Right. And that was something that was no longer available. Mm-hmm. So, so there's – do you do you have uh, like any species at the top of your mind where you, that you can mention that were like – Obviously, the lot were negatively affected, but any any particular that were like maybe went extinct because of that event. I think there was a decline in 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 songbirds in the prairies. Yeah. Also, um, they're pretty delicate species, yeah. generally speaking. So yeah, yeah. Um, ground squirrels and uh, were were pretty reliant on. There was actually a, sort of a, a mutual, I guess, relationship between bison and and ground squirrels, and okay. that they they both really kind of liked really kind of bare soil, open areas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with without bison, then ground squirrels didn't have that as well. Right. There's also um, some of the sand dune obligate species probably were suffering as well. So sure. in uh, Suffield National Wildlife Area, there's been a loss of of open sand, a loss of sand dunes over time. Mm-hmm. And there's some, there's a paper out that suggests that the reason this is happening is because they don't have bison in the area anymore. And they, in the paper, made a case for tracing the sand dunes back to buffalo wallows. Oh, okay. And so the, the buffalo would wallow, open up an area, it would become an open sand dune. And now that the bison are gone, here, look, I'm using buffalo and bison uh, yeah, synonymously see, hey, as well. Yeah, you doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, but then uh, they don't have that that active force to... Yeah. to keep these areas open yeah well that makes perfect sense like, i mean you think about the sustainability of a, of a prairie landscape if it's got this constant influx of nutrients from from bison crap mm-hmm. from you know tens of millions of heads so yep. that's i don't know how many pounds of turd that is but it's a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i don't know either and, and we took that land and turned it into something where we're just trying to you know to maximize maximize uh crop growth and that kind of stuff to feed people, I'm not saying that you know, but it's just like it's obviously the the uh, um, the capacity, the natural capacity of that prairie landscape to produce uh, grass and to produce vegetation is going to be dr- massively, drastically reduced. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we, we're finding ourselves in a place where we ha- we're forced to add. I'm not. I don't know much about agriculture and how it works and everything, but like I'm, I'm assuming that there's a whole lot of fertilizer being put on the landscape to maintain what we're doing, right? So, mm-hmm. and it's not just the the grasses as well. It's all the insects that rely on uh, the the feces as well. Yeah. And so you have, then you have fewer insects, and again, that's going to affect the songbirds and bats and everything else. So yeah, so just a lot of a lot of problems. That it's yeah, it's it's uh, being a keystone species. You know, there's. You can make the web out and there's, you know, well over a hundred species, I'm sure. A lot. Were negatively impacted by the loss of bison. Yeah. I guess that whole, that, yeah, that negative impact was probably lost to the idea of kind of the massive uh, influx of people and like 
into the into the prairies yep. and building towns and starting and all obviously these, so yeah that had an impact too everyone had other things yep. on their mind besides besides you know what i mean you're trying to feed your family you're not going to worry mm-hmm. about some some massive species that exists out there you're just trying to feed your kids or whatever so it's mm-hmm. yeah it's an interesting problem so it just it was kind of an it almost seems like it was something that we it was kind of overshadowed by the by the influx of people right like that was the story not mm-hmm. the fact that the whole land is different now because the influx of people brought about the loss of a, a super important keystone species. But yeah, yeah, and I think it's really only been the last, you know, few decades where we've, you know, really been starting to wrap our head around just what an impact this has had and, and how important it is to have bison on, yeah. on prairie landscapes if you yeah. want to have, you know, more of a natural ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's wild. So, okay. Now that we've kind of established all of that, we can we can talk about parks a little bit more. Talk about the stuff that you're you're currently doing and all that. So, so, uh, so both Wood Buffalo and National Park and Elk Island Provincial Park, right? National. It is national too. Yeah. Okay. I always, I always mess that up. And uh, okay, yeah, you're in, yeah, right. You're a national park wildlife ecologist. Obviously, yep. that's where you work. That's it's going to be a national park, right? Think straight, Christoph. Working on it. <laughs> um, so they were both established at the turn of uh, kind of the 1900s there. Yep. And so what is the current status of those parks as far as population numbers? You said the wood buffalo had the natural herd of about down of about to about two, 250 at one point in the late 1800s. Yeah. And then by the time they established the park up there, how many? See, yeah, at that point it was around 2,500. Okay. So, so they, were, they were bouncing back bouncing for sure. Back. So do they, do they produce a calf every year? Yeah, for the most, they they certainly can. They actually can have a, a pretty high growth rate, okay. despite the fact that usually they're only producing singletons. Right. Okay. But uh, you can have two thirds, three quarters of the females producing calves every year. Okay, so they have a pretty good fecundity. They come yeah. back pretty quick. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what about Elk Island? What was you said? There was there was nothing there, and they brought in the herd from. Sorry, what was it? It, it was in Montana, the Pablo Allard herd. Pablo Allard herd. And that was how many, how many, first of all, how many survived that trip? <laughs> you know, it's, it's shocking when you see the, the old photos of how they're rounding these bison up and putting them in crates and shipping them on the rail to, um, to Elk Island and then later to Buffalo National Park. It's like, yeah, it's crazy. How did the, how did this ever work? But yeah. it's, it seemed to work pretty well. I've never really seen anything about uh survivor okay. rates sure but i gotta imagine that's gonna be stressful for a bison to jump uh, on a train and be on yeah this, yeah that's gonna be an interesting event i can't imagine that every 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 single individual made it okay i gotta imagine there's no. some <laughs> amount of mortality <laughs> i would imagine that's the case yeah. right and yeah. so i read somewhere that there was about 800 bison in the pablo allard herd that were in Montana that were shipped to Elk Island. Um, yeah. Then the Elk Island population was reduced to 50 because all the rest of them were shipped to Buffalo National Park. Oh, okay. Okay. So still not a lot compared to 32 million. Exactly. Or whatever. I don't exactly. know why I keep saying 32 million, but that's in my head now. So I'm sticking with it. <laughs> <laughs> but a substantial portion of the bison that existed at that time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And what was the total population at that time in North America, you think? Oh, you know, it. This is all guesstimation, I guess. Sure. I would guess it would be in the 10, 12,000 range. Oh, so like maybe as much as half. Yep. Okay. We're existing there. Okay. Um, so why did they ship so much up to, to Wood Buffalo? Just because they, did, they didn't want them in, in Elk Island, like you were saying? or So still... so they went to, okay, there's Buffalo National Park and Wood Buffalo National Park, and they're yeah. different. Yeah. But 
Um, so Buffalo National Park, um, it was getting decommissioned. Yeah. And so they had to do something to get rid of the bison. And they were, they had probably like 10,000 bison okay. at the time. Uh, so they decided that they were going to ship a number of them up to Wood Buffalo National Park. And this was in the 20s, 1920s. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there were a lot of uh, ecologists who said, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, they're going, we have one herd of wood bison left, yeah. and it's in Wood Buffalo National Park. But the, uh, the government basically pushed it through. Mm. And so they barged these animals, uh, 6,673 plains bison up into Wood Buffalo National Park. That's an exact number. There we go. <laughs> yeah, that, that is an exact number. Um, and again, like you say... Um, I'm sure 6,673 healthy bison did not arrive in Wood Buffalo National Park. Sure. But um, the the exact number is unknown. Right. And then so the they main were concern just... by the ecologist, sorry to cut you off. The main concern by the ecologist was the changing the wood bison herd into a predominantly plains bison exactly. herd. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so they were, they were released in an area where it was felt that um, it was isolated from the wood bison mm-hmm. in Wood Buffalo National Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over time, these bison did spread throughout the park. We know, we don't know to what extent hybridization occurred, mm-hmm. but we also know that these bison that were shipped from Buffalo National Park to Wood Buffalo National Park brought with them uh, bovine brucellosis and tuberculosis. So it was, it was in, when this happened in the 1920s, those animals had TB and brucellosis and we didn't know about it? Or so we- basically, yes. Uh, well, we kind of did know about it, um, but probably not to the extent that it that it was. But they were kind of running Buffalo National Park is is certainly not a as, as as we view national parks today. But they were doing a lot of experimenting with breeding bison with cattle to try to produce cattle and beefalo and right. and uh, it, it was, was the, it was the first it was the first attempt at conservation. They're just trying to yeah yeah yeah. Okay. It was definitely okay. more of a ranch than a. Yeah. Gotcha. A real conservation project. Yeah. So these bison uh, went up to a Buffalo National Park and they brought these two diseases with them. Mm-hmm. So Plains bison genes, uh, tuberculosis and brucellosis spread to the to the wood bison in Wood Buffalo National Park. So what, uh, just remind me, I, I, I don't recall, what is what exactly is TB and brucellosis and what are the implications of that disease? Right. So they, tuberculosis is more of a, uh, a lung disease, basically. Okay. Uh, and brucellosis is more reproductive tract, so it can, it can make cows lose their calves. Ah. And so between, the, the biggest problem though with these diseases is that they're reportable to the cattle industry. Mm. So if they get into cattle, we could have sort of a mad cow situation where the borders are closed mm. to the movement of animals, of, of cattle to other countries. Okay. And it's also a, a big boon for the cattle industry to be in Canada, to be able to say, yes, we have tuberculosis and brucellosis free animals. And it makes them more desirable on the, on the world market. Okay. So these two diseases do have an impact on, on bison. There's some debate as to how much of an impact they have on bison. Mm-hmm. And we know that the, these diseases have been in Wood Buffalo National Park uh, for 100 years. Sure. And we still have bison there. Right. So. Okay. So what is the, uh, so you say TB is a lung disease. Do we know what the mortality rate is with that among bison? Or the is that the estimate is... With these two diseases in Wood Buffalo National Park, 
that it's probably increased mortality by four to six percent. Okay, so a bunch, but also not it's not wiping them out. Or exactly. Like and what about brucellosis? Yeah, it's a, so brucellosis and bison. So you said the same. It was the, yeah it was for, for it, both diseases for both of them. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, for for it has more of an impact on fecundity because it can make uh, the if a, if a cow has uh, brucellosis, she'll lose her first calf. But it's usually only the first calf. Does she pass that on? Um, so the way that brucellosis is passed on is basically through um, afterbirth. Oh, okay. So, so, it's, so they would, as they come out, they would kind of like... Not, yeah, the calf doesn't necessarily get it immediately, uh, but it, it can get it very, very shortly after birth. Oh, okay. And uh, it's not a overly... Like if you get if 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 an, if an animal gets tuberculosis or brucellosis, it's not like a guarantee they're going to die. But they'll they're, no. does it does it affect them for the rest of their life, or does it eventually kind of go away, or is it like what's the deal? They well, <laughs> I was going to say they don't go away, but you know the 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 proper answer probably is that we don't know. Okay, okay. Um, so still sorting it out. It's yeah, it's kind of a mystery. they don't have impacts quickly okay for sure sure it's these are diseases that are well like i said they can affect fecundity brucellosis can affect fecundity early mm-hmm. but uh brucellosis and tuberculosis are, are mainly going to affect older animals yeah okay okay um now the the bison meat enjoyer in me wants mm-hmm. to know is that something that's passed on in the meat or is that something that's only in the yeah, like, yeah it, it, it's they can be in the meat. So you could, yeah. so you could tuberculosis especially. Yeah. You could get tuberculosis from eating infected bison meat. There, maybe, maybe. obviously, I there's think, a risk. I think maybe yes. I think there's a risk. Okay. So um, basically, there, if you harvest an animal mm-hmm. and the animal has lesions inside that you can see, mm-hmm. the idea is that you should just leave it. Mm. Um, lesions on the lungs. And it, they can be anywhere, but oh. they. Primarily in the lungs, but they can be anywhere. Okay. Okay. Um, because it might have tuberculosis and you might be able to get tuberculosis from from diseased meat. We don't know of this ever happening. Okay. There's no – it's one of those ones where like, hey, we're, we're – kind of like CWD, like chronic right. wasting disease. We're like, hey, so far it hasn't happened. Doesn't mean it won't yeah. happen. And even if you did have diseased meat, properly cooking it would would – make it safe to eat it would okay it's not like it's not like chronic waste and disease where it's a no proton. no it's a it's a it's a protein thing where it can't be burned out so if you did cook it to 165 you'd be okay exactly kind of like uh it's almost like the like like uh eating black bears in the in the uh what do you call it uh what's the what's the parasite black bears get uh most most predators get it it's a it's a it's a worm or whatever <laughs> I'm having a brain fart right now. I can't remember. But anyways, if you cook those, same thing. Most apparently, yeah. a lot of black bears and wolves and that kind of stuff have it. And uh, yeah, if you cook it to 165, it kills them. But obviously, that's a parasite. This is a this is bacteria. A bacteria. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, and brucellosis, does it, can that be passed on? Do you know? I don't believe it can. Okay. I haven't heard of it. So that's one that you you wouldn't really have to worry about as much, right? If you yeah, were the, to harvest one, because there is there is a there is a hunt every now and again in in, in Alberta. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. So the um, but the the hunt is usually around in the Hazama area, and those animals are disease free. Those ones are disease free. Yes. Oh, so it's okay. only 
Wood Buffalo National Park and some of the herds immediately surrounding Wood Buffalo National Park where okay. their uh, bovine brucellosis and tuberculosis are an issue. Okay. And I, I, can we track all of those diseased animals back to that original herd that came from Montana pretty much? Uh, actually, no. It's um, because the plains bison at Elk Island National Park have never had those diseases. Uh, so it didn't come from those animals from Montana. It came from oh. something they did at Buffalo National Park. Oh, so was there? So was there contact? You said there was there was a bunch of contact with yeah. cattle, and they're trying to crossbreed. Yeah. So it probably might have came from the cattle actually that were up. More there. than likely. Ah, god damn it! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? All these diseases? Hey, they always come from mm-hmm. this high concentration of, of of animals like like the CWD and the and the mad cow and all this all this type of stuff, right? It's always yeah. Ah. Damn it. It's always us. We're always our own downfall. Yeah, right? it seems that way. <laughs> okay, so how many so right now we have uh there's there's two herds in the parks, right? Or uh okay, so there are actually ten uh parks or national historic sites in Canada that have I'm talking national. Nationally, yeah. Um of that have bison, either wood or plains bison. Okay. And they're throughout like Alberta, BC, Northwest Territories kind of thing? Or are they in Saskatchewan, Manitoba over there too? Yeah, Saskatchewan, or? Manitoba as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nothing in Ontario, Quebec, that kind of area? No. The, okay. the, farthest, the farthest east is uh, a herd in Chittick Lake, Manitoba. Okay. And, so, and that's not a national park. That's uh, it's, it's on provincial land. Okay. Uh, so those are, those are all parks or those are all the herds that we know of? So the there's 10... 10 uh wild well no 10 public herds of of bison that are that are run by the the, the federal government that are managed managed by the federal government okay. exactly okay if we're looking at, at wild free ranging herds um there are about 13 wood oh. bison and about 6 plains bison actually fewer than that because that includes some display herds and that's just in canada in Canada, okay. Is there any anything going on in the states as far as? Yeah, they have a they have a, besides Yellowstone, obviously. I guess. Yeah, they have a large number of like there's dozens and dozens of of plains bison herds. Okay, they only okay. recently uh, there was a release of of wood bison in Alaska. Mm. Oh, uh, probably three or four years ago now. Oh, okay. So b- before that, um, it was just Canada in in North America that had that had wood bison. Okay, so what, uh, again, this will be, these are all kind of general guesstimations, I'm assuming, but uh, as far as the total population of like plains, and you can break it up by plains and wood separately, however you want to do it, what's the total population in North America that we know of? Obviously, there'll be, in the wild herds, there's probably some guessing there, but what is the total number that we have now? Yeah, so for wood bison, it's probably around 9,000, and for plains bison, it would be, it's less than that. Um, I think it's around 3,000, 3,500, oh. something like that. So still, so still, you know, 12, 13,000 maybe in total at most. Yep. For, so from 30 million or roughly, or maybe more down to, for the plains, you said a thousand. Uh, about 3,000 for the plains right now. Yeah. Or yeah. no, it went down to a thousand. Yes. Down sorry. To about a thousand. Yes. And the wood buffalo went down to, we don't know. 250. That was, that was it. That was it. Yeah. Okay. So down to 1,250 animals back up to 12,000 in a hundred years. Yeah. Well, in Canada, there's, Canada. there's a, there's... sorry, that's in Canada. Yeah, yeah. Right. And they said down the States they've got, do you know how many they have roughly? 
Oh, you know, off the top of my head, I don't. Okay. Yeah. But would you say it's something relative? It's not like they have 50,000 or something like that? They no, it's, yeah, same ballpark. Same ballpark, roughly 10,000 or so? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So still very, very few relative to what used to exist Absolutely. 100 years ago or more. Um, so obviously there's a lot of current efforts to try and like, like you said, there's an increasing amount of attention being paid to bison and bison conservation mm-hmm. and bringing them back onto the landscape and that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, recently there was that introduction into Banff. Yes. Was it 2018? Uh, it was 2018 July, yes. I think. Yes. In the summer. And that was, uh, so that, that was what? 30 animals. I, I recall. It's well, it's currently around 30. It was oh, okay. 16 animals. They shipped there. 16. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And they released them. And so they're, they're actually, how are they doing? They're doing pretty well then if they're up to really well. Yeah. They're doing really, really well. Yeah. And that's just in Banff. I'm assuming it's not by town. It's probably some in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. People can't access easily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Okay. Okay. And what's the, what is the future like there? What, what, what's the hope in, in Banff? What's the potential, do you think? Well, it's, it's, uh, right now it's, uh, part of a, a five year project to, mm-hmm. uh, it, so it's an experimental, it's an experiment basically to see how, how well the bison do. Right. Um, you know, we have enough evidence to show that bison used to be there. Sure. And, it, it, even though we only have 30 animals there right now, it mm-hmm. does seem like they are potentially starting to have an impact on the environment in the, in, in the ways that, that we were hoping they were. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, so yeah, in two years, basically they've gone, they've doubled their numbers essentially. Right? Yeah. It, although it's a bit of a trick because we only shipped pregnant females. Ah, that's a nice <laughs> trick. I like that. Very conservation savvy. Yeah. <laughs> very smart. Very smart. So, uh, Okay. But they have all they have produced in the wild another batch of of calves to, those, to get up to the thirty. Okay, are those original? Uh, all the ones that were released are they all collared or anything? Yeah, exactly. So they're keeping tabs. Yep. So they know they exactly. Know what's okay, okay, yep. interesting. Um, those are woods bison that were released there. No, those are plains bison. Those were plains bison. So those are plains bison from Elk Island. Yeah. So basically, uh, Elk Island National Park, the wood and plains. Um, Elk Island is the source of both for almost all of the conservation herds in Canada and also throughout uh, some in the U.S. and some in, in, in Russia as well. Yeah, obviously you don't want to spread that TB and brucellosis if you can help no. it, so that makes sense. <laughs> Try to yes, keep that to a minimum. That is, that is a factor, for okay, sure. Okay, okay. So uh, one thing, and this I won't go deep into this, just a, just a quick little drive-by, was one thing that has become to my attention was regarding uh, – the importance of cultural burning, so indigenous burning mm-hmm. of, of, of plains and forest landscapes for the last 13,000 years, up until 100 years ago. Uh, there's an argument to be made that that played a huge role in keeping plains open and keeping bison habitat open as yep. well as, you know what I mean? So there was, there was a cohabitation there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and that's been eradicated. Obviously, that burning has been eradicated in, in, in the national parks. Um, well, everywhere, really. But uh, so is there... Is there some thought into into that kind of stuff? Like provide, yeah. You're, you're out there is okay. What? Yeah. So there's 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 definitely the recognition that mm-hmm. you know, as you say, well, human caused or not, and you know, as, yeah. as you were mentioning, uh, we are controlling fires and we don't have mm-hmm. the the fire regime that we used to. Yeah. Um, and that is another thing that's impacting biodiversity in areas because you're getting a lot more old growth forest and, yep. and fewer. Uh, plains areas that um, you know that that bison can use or yep. 
a number of other species I just happen to be bison-centric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably all of them if you go back far enough. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So is there, so there's some thought into, I know there's, they, they do prescribe burning in, in the yeah. parks and stuff like that, but is there some thought into doing it like some allowing some indigenous groups in that have the knowledge to, oh, to do some question. cultural you know, burning? I don't know the answer to that, yeah. but that's a, that's a good question. I, I mean, I'm, there's certainly uh, an awareness that this was an important part of yep. of indigenous culture mm-hmm. and uh, Parks Canada, like all most all of the other federal branches, uh, you know, are are trying. Uh, the reconciliation oh, process yeah, yeah. is, is important, that, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. that would certainly be something that uh, would play into that. So, well, it seems like they'd be the ones you'd want to talk to, right? Exactly. They're the ones who are going to oh, yeah, have yeah, that yeah. knowledge passed down mm-hmm. in order to do such a thing as provide more bison habitat in the park, right? Right. Especially somewhere where there's low risk of, you know what I mean, of burning down someone's cabin or whatever, <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah. that's huge. So, I think that's there's a huge opportunity there. That's be interesting. So. Uh, so what is the impact they're seeing there that you were saying they're, they're having the impact that you're hoping they would have? So what is right. the ecological impact that you're hoping to uh, see? So they are um, um, grazing in some areas that uh, we're hoping to target, to, you know, some specific species to, to sort of decrease the amount of some species, increase the amount of other species mm-hmm. just by their, their grazing pressure. Okay. And that's been happening. It, awesome. Yes. Yeah. You just reintroduce something that was supposed to be there. It's 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 interesting how, like the one huge example that's always in the media, right? That's is is like the Yellowstone National Park and the reintroduction of wolves, right? Yes. What do they call it? How wolves change rivers or whatever, right? Right. Yep. And just the how the reintroduction of the of the that one species that was supposed to be part of the landscape managed to totally alter the landscape into something it was supposed to be right and, mm-hmm. and, and reintroduce mm-hmm. that balance and and so it's yeah so it's, it's awesome to see that you know at least on a small scale we're starting to see that with bison a little bit and it's only been two years so that's great yeah exactly yeah that's cool is there so what is the are they hoping to continue to release more and more animals into bath if things go well or? yeah un, unknown at okay. this time uh it's still sort of this uh experimental exploratory process yep. but uh the thing with bison is that you know they're they're quite good at, at making more bison. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> just that if they do it like rabbits, they do it like bison. <laughs> you know, pretty much. Some of the some of the some of the growth rates in some of these populations are just astonishing. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, it, the idea how excited do you get when you think about the idea of having like more and more bison on the landscape of having, you know what I mean? Like of having yeah. something. That's- oh yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's absolutely thrilling. And it's funny for, for bison conservation, unlike just about any other species in North America, uh, you know, at the turn of the century, century, people were like, Oh geez, you know, bison are in trouble. We have to, we'll put some in zoos and we'll put some mm-hmm. fenced over here. And yeah. you know, it's unlike deer and elk and moose where mm-hmm. we're just, we expect to see them free ranging. Yeah. You know, people don't expect to see bison free ranging. It's yeah. only, you know, relatively recently that they've said this is actually what bison are supposed to be doing. You know, keeping them, <laughs> yeah. keeping them in a, under, behind a fence somewhere isn't really, truly conserving the species. Right. It's preservation. Yeah. 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 That's been an interesting thought I've been having, like, the preservation versus conservation effort. But it's, it's awesome to see that, like, we have come so far in that effort of preservation versus conservation. Mm-hmm. Right? Like there's like, there's a lot of people putting a lot of resources and thought into Absolutely. all these species, right? Bison yep. being a major one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely, I mean, for parks Canada, it's, it's probably our, our biggest success story. The, yeah. what we've done for, for bison, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, at the same time we can't get complacent either. 
you know, well, we've of course still got a long way to go. It's not over yet. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the long, like, obviously now I would assume that you guys are, it's just at a place where like, Hey, we just need to try and get these back wherever we can get them back. I'm sure there's not like an, uh, you know what I mean? 200 years down the line, we want to have X number. You're just, you're just headed in a direction and you'll see where it takes you. I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. So for, uh, for wood bison, there's a national recovery strategy mm-hmm. and in the, National recovery strategy, it lays out short and long-term goals. Okay. And the long-term goal is five herds, at least five herds of at least a thousand animals throughout the original range of wood bison that are um, genetically variable, disease-free, uh, some movement between these herds. Uh, so right now we're working on the disease-free. <laughs> The disease free is a biggie for sure. It's um it's the the biggest issue for wood bison conservation right now. So how do you how does one go about dealing with brucellosis and TB? How do you not easily? That's yeah. for sure. They um they can be difficult to uh, detect from testing, especially tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. And there's never been a case. There's never been an instance of people going into a wild herd of bison and vaccinating them mm. and being able to to get rid of these diseases. Ah. So it's it's challenging absolutely. It's something that we're working pretty hard on right now trying mm. to figure out what what to do. But uh what's and, on the table? Can you discuss that a little bit or is that something that's kind well, of under developing key. <laughs> developing developing better tests, developing better vaccines. Sure. So not I'm I'm assuming you're trying to stay away from the kill them all and start over strategy if possible uh, yeah so it, it's um that's what, that's that what was... basically that's what i'm wondering are we at a place where it's like like i know when, when chronic wasting disease started mm-hmm. in, in alberta when it started to spread from the states uh there was a massive eradication effort where they're like hey we just got to kill these this small population yep. and just because we can't stop it like this is an invincible disease that we have to just stop and that was shut down by public scrutiny because people don't like deer being shot from helicopters apparently right mm-hmm. <laughs> correct me if i'm wrong you're the one who knows probably way more about this than i do um so my question is yeah how much of a lost cause is the brucellosis and tb thing in bison is it to the level of cwd or is it is it it's not going to go away on its own sure okay yeah we can we've done you know astonishingly well at, at keeping the diseases within and, you know, slightly outside of Wood Buffalo National Park. So it hasn't spread to any of the other disease-free herds. Mm-hmm. Um, which is awesome. That's a huge awesome. accomplishment yep. in and of itself. So mm-hmm. that's got to take a massive amount of resources just to pull that off. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we want to continue doing that for sure. Yeah. And uh, in the short term and in the long term, uh, figure out ways to eliminate the threat of disease spread as opposed to just yeah. um, treating it as, as it comes up, I guess. Right. How do you how do you know if the vaccinations have worked or not? Because imagine it's got to be difficult to measure that, right? So the, yeah. I'm guessing the hope there would be in the lab, basically. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the hope there would be that okay, the ones that have TB and brucellosis will eventually die out, and the new ones that have that are vaccinated will eventually, you know what I mean? So that that'll it'll just kind of be killed off by attrition, sort of thing. Like it'll yeah. Be, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the hope. Okay, yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's so but that's, it's it's a one possible way of, of of treating it for sure. Okay, and how likely do you think that is? With obviously, it, I'm, I'm sure it takes time to develop a, an mm-hmm. effective vaccine mm-hmm. for bison, something that we haven't tried to do. I'm sure for very long. Um, so how is is that the, is that the plan A? That's like that's what we're that's 
Yeah, I'm, it's, it, well, it's something we're, we're definitely looking at, absolutely, right. and okay. I'm pretty optimistic that uh, okay. we're going to be able to, to come up with something. So it's looking, it's looking like it's heading in the right direction. Yeah. Like a lot of smart minds, I'm assuming, exactly. looking into it and yeah. working diligently. So yeah, no, that's good. That's awesome. So no, it's just good to hear you don't have to go in and just murder them all for the sake of future conservation, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I mean, there's there's so many reasons why that would be an issue in Wood Buffalo National Park with this unbroken relationship with wolves. If you get rid of 5,000 bison uh, and you have wolves that are used to eating those bison, then what happens? Yeah. Um, Trophic cascade to the max. Yeah. Exactly. You also have an extremely valuable herd from a genetic perspective that if you went in and, and got rid of those animals, then you'd be really losing out on, on the genetic diversity too. Mm-hmm. So is it roughly 5,000? So of the 12,000 bison we have in Canada, we think roughly 5,000 of them have are diseased, or they're in the disease area, I should say? Pretty much, yeah. Whew, that is a challenge. Yeah. That's bananas. Wow. Well, I admire you guys for looking into it and trying to figure <laughs> it out because that sounds like a hell of an effort. Yeah, that's wild. Um, another thing I wanted to discuss was outside of – like we were discussing before, but we'll go through it again now that we're recording and my computer's not being annoying, <laughs> was uh, the whole uh, issue with bison in Alberta. Is this just in Alberta or is this Canada-wide, the livestock thing? Uh, Alberta. It's just Alberta. So in Alberta, bison that are not within a bison management area, so not necessarily a park, right? It's just a bison management area. Exactly, so yep. They are considered... They're not under any protected or threatened status or anything like that. They're just – they're considered a livestock and there's no regulations around them. Yeah. So there's there's basically three different uh, listings for bison in Alberta. The mm-hmm. ones in the Hazama area in northwestern Alberta mm-hmm. are considered wildlife. Yeah. And uh, there are two areas where they have – they're listed as what's called a subject animal under the Alberta Wildlife Act. And so that's uh, – in sort of just south of Wood Buffalo National Park and an area just outside of Banff National Park. Okay. In case the Banff animals wander outside of the park, then they, they do have some protection there provincially. Gotcha. Uh, elsewhere, there is no protection for for wood bison and, or plains bison at the moment mm-hmm. on provincial land. Right. Um, and part of the reason for that is it's when you're talking about it being a big effort to ensure these diseases don't spread – that's one of the ways that, that uh, has been used to make sure these diseases don't spread is is have areas where um, bison don't have protection mm-hmm. and basically they're areas where we don't really want bison to be right now because there's the concern of of the spread of the disease from from disease to disease free herds. Okay, so they are so like so that's not a loophole. It's something that was that was done on purpose. That's right. As a response to these diseases. That's right. Yeah. So, okay. So until these diseases are taken care of, I'm assuming that will, that will be a standing, that'll be a standing status. Yeah. I would, livestock I, status up until we sort that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the problems would be better people to ask than, than myself. No, but, for sure. Of course. I mean, it's, yeah, it's yeah. in for a reason, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's not an oversight. That's what I assumed when I first came. I was like, that's a huge oversight, yeah. <laughs> but that makes perfect sense. Okay. So I guess even the people that are – anyone that is, you know, shooting uh, a bison outside of that zone probably has to get that thing tested to make sure that it's not – I would assume. If, it, if it's the they reason – They don't have to. They don't have to. Well, I know they don't have to, but for their own safety, would it be probably prudent to do so? Yeah, and I believe the province has some available um, 
media releases, I guess, as yeah. to how how best to to look at that. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, this, the whole story about bison is just like it's 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 friggin' bananas. Like it's it's just crazy to think about that we've gone from the species that was so prominent, the prominent large land mammal on the face like of North America, by a large degree apparently, and. It existed for 100,000 years and now it's in a matter of 12 years or so, it went down to a couple thousand or no, sorry, we didn't say it was 1,250 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then we've managed in 100 years, managed to bring it back up with very concerted efforts into like what? Yeah. A lot, right? You've managed to to increase the number of a thousand percent, which is huge. That's just in Canada. That's not including Mm -hmm. what's been done in the States. And I'm sure the equally amount of concerted effort down there to make sure this happens. So. I love seeing those those conservation stories that are like a big successes like that. Like, mm-hmm. like one is the like trumpeter swans too, right? Like yep. that, that's uh, I had Mark Heckbert on talking about that and, the, and the, how that was such a dire problem at mm-hmm. the turn of the century and in a hundred years we managed to turn it around and they're they're still a species of concern but there there's thousands of them available or out there now, right? So it's and that's only because of concerted efforts yep. around conservation and paying attention to it and doing it and it's it's hugely beneficial. I mean, some people may see it as just a benefit to those of us who like nature, right? Which, I mean, it seems like a pretty human thing to be into nature. But if you don't like nature, yeah. maybe you check your priorities. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, obviously, there's implications, like we said, ecologically and therefore sustainably for everybody, for everything, right? So it's 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 great to see that this is happening. Do you ever think, like, in your wildest dreams, when you think about the future of bison, North America – what do you imagine being possible? I, I imagine larger herds of, of free-ranging animals um, that are going over, you know, federal land, provincial crown land, uh, reserve land. I think that working with indigenous groups is – there are a number of indigenous groups that are really, really interested in getting bison back on the landscape. Mm-hmm. And I think that is – um, kind of the next step in mm. bison recovery and bison conservation is working with these groups and yeah. and uh, you know they have they have a lot of land and uh, a lot of them want bison on that land. Yeah, that's awesome. It's do you think it'll be mostly? Uh, I'm assuming it's not going to be in the plains because like the plains are kind of occupied right at the moment. <laughs> but I mean, obviously that would be cool. But I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the the economic machine I don't imagine is stopping for a species like that. So I'm assuming that that would be cool. But like, uh, probably I'm assuming the the concerted effort will be in the in the boreal forest. And you know, I think that there there are still areas in the plains where we can target and and try to get. Yeah, relatively larger herds of plains bison free ranging out there. That's awesome. I just mm-hmm. imagine the media coverage of, you know, some family in a minivan slamming into a bull bison <laughs> on the highway or something, and we've got to kill them all. Yeah. Management or whatever, right? So it's well, people are used to having yeah deer and elk and moose, these other large ungulates out on the landscape, right? Yeah, although bison's a different level. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to hit one, that is for sure. <laughs> if you hit a 350-pound black bear, it destroys a vehicle. I can't imagine what hitting a 2,000-pound yeah. you know, chunk of meat is going to do to your vehicle. Yeah, they're, they're dense. Good. Yeah, but, it's, but still, I agree. Like it would, be, it would be really cool to see for a lot of different angles, like culturally very much for, the, for, uh, for indigenous groups too, right? Because right now I think a lot of, especially the northern, northern – uh, 
northern groups a lot of their focus is on moose and that kind of stuff because that's the, their next thing and i don't know mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't know traditionally if they were always on moose or if bison was a big part of their thing but if it, if it was it seems like it would be a cool another another increase for them right for the for indigenous communities to have that traditional resource back on the landscape for them to to harvest and do with what they need to do with right for for yep. cultural purposes but also who knows what the future of you know, the future ecology of that landscape might look like with that exactly keystone species back on the land, right? Yeah. And with um with climate change, it kind of seems like bison uh, may be fairly well adapted to what mm. the climate is going to become and what the the landscape is going to become. So really? they could be, you know, like you say, uh, another resource that could be available to people for for food. I guess the, the so the thought there is that the the increase the pushback of the parkland up like further right. north so increase in opening of meadow areas opening meadow areas opening plains and yeah. allowing more grazing area and that kind of stuff okay 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 not that I'm pro climate change but no 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 well there's pros and cons to the to exactly. everything right climate change there's going to be lots of things there's going to be lots of industries that benefit hugely from climate change right and there'll be lots of benefits there'll be a lot of negatives too that go with it it's just the extremes are going to be extreme <laughs> yeah yeah like we currently have plains bison from mexico uh to alaska so mm. you know they're they're pretty well adapted to living in in different circumstances yeah they've made it work for they, sure yeah which is it's interesting because i i heard and this again this was from the book almost all of my information came from that book <laughs> because i'm lazy but i read it twice so maybe that's not lazy <laughs> but also i looked into your research as well don't worry i was i was doing research but uh one thing really interesting thing i heard was there was a point i don't remember where it was and you probably know about it uh where the researchers tried to figure out the cold tolerance of animals did you hear about this yeah probably from the book as well yeah okay yeah yeah and there and there was something about and I'll quote Stephen Ranella on this one, so if he can, he can look into his book, and it'll be sure the references are in there somewhere. But yeah, they tried to find the cold tolerance of, of a bunch of different animals, from like pigs and deer and and cows and moose and everything. And I think they even got yaks, or sorry, not yaks, uh, muskox. Mm-hmm. And so, like, the, I, I don't remember. I'm paraphrasing, but I think the muskox is what they were measuring was the temperature at which their metabolic rate changed, indicating that. They were they had to change their metabolism to deal with the cold, right? And the muskox, I think it was like it was pretty cold. It was like minus twenty Celsius or something like that. So that's like for that for them to be totally fine up until that point mm-hmm. is amazing. They said they couldn't find it for bison. Yeah, which and is nuts. Yeah, and they managed to get it to minus forty or minus thirty five, I think. And they said it still they weren't unaffected, which is bananas. To yeah. say that that species is, is cool with hotter weather <laughs> means is weird. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, and I agree with you. But uh, um, so we've introduced bison to Sakha Republic in Russia. Oh, okay. Uh, so wood bison in it's just like. In the Yakutsk, if you know where that is, but really, <laughs> yeah. really, really eastern uh, Russia, and it's cold there. It's like minus forty-five, yep. you know, fairly regularly, and the bison are happy as clams. Probably like, not a lot of folks up there either. No, there's not a lot of <laughs> anything up there. <laughs> bison are killing it though. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so yeah, there's opportunities there. Like, there, it's it's a fascinating story because they're such a, they're clearly, like biologically speaking. They're very resilient species because they can handle the extreme hots, the extreme colds. Yep. They can they can handle pressure from most natural uh, predators, and they like they're very resilient. Yes. 
until the rifle shows up. E, pretty much. Right. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, oh, apparently they're not very well adapted to deal with someone shooting a piece of lead from 500 yards away when they can't even see them. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild that it managed. It took us like the ultimate predator to, to just, you know what I mean? To basically destroy that species in all intents mm-hmm. and purposes. Right. So it's, yeah, it seems like a, 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 a it seems like you're right. Like there, there is a huge amount of opportunity there to bring them back. It seems like they'll kind of take care of themselves almost once they're once they're there. Right? Yeah, and so I, I agree. And you know, a lot of conservation recovery efforts, you know, a number of species, they need you know pretty intense work at the beginning. Caribou, right? Yeah, perfect example. Like it seems like we might be taking care of them forever. It seems like we may never get back to a woodland caribou herd that's totally self sustaining, right? So it's I don't. I'm not. I'm, I'm not a professional at that. I'm just like that's what I gathered from the literature that I've read. But it seems like bison, maybe. Yeah. If you you know there, you don't need a captive breeding program really. If you can find space for them where you can leave them alone, mm-hmm. they're, they're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's 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 probably pretty relieving for you guys to know yeah. that like, <laughs> if we can figure out a place to put them, they'll be all right. Which is a challenge, <laughs> but uh, of, yeah. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, trying to find a place to put them where they're going to not contact diseases and not become a problem for yeah. people and not. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I have a I have a wild, and I'm sure it's going to be a lifelong fascination with bison at this point because they seem to have such a mystique where they represent so much now to society, you know, they represent yeah. that, you know, the, the glacial period, they represent indigenous, uh, in, indigenous rise and fall of indigenous people. Right. And, and, and the massive amount of, of sustainability, they managed to coexist together. They also represent the, obviously the, like the important, the importance of bison to the establishment of North American Call it like culture, like our culture, like you and me, and, and everything we have going on. Our society now was built on a bedrock of bison bones, right? And like it's it's so it's massively important to our current society, mm-hmm. and but also is representative of the the greed of a population as well as the Absolutely. success, right? Yeah. So it's and so much more. I'm sure there's many like, there's many other interpretations of it, but they're. Yeah, they're a fascinating species, and I, I every time I see one, it's just it blows my mind because they just they're just so big and there's nothing like them. Yeah. Right? They're they're incredible. They're, yeah, absolutely. There's there's yeah. nothing like them, and yeah, I feel very honored and privileged to have been able to work with them for as long as I have. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's a it's a cool thing. So, anyways, there. Uh, so final thoughts. This is hour and thirty minutes here already. <laughs> Takes it goes by. Yeah. Yes. Uh, any, any final thoughts or anything you wanted to kind of conclude with? Anything, maybe information that Parks wants to get out or how people can get involved, anything like that? Yeah. Well, I think the, the biggest message uh, from Parks is is just um, how involved we have been and, and continue to be in, in bison conservation and um, that we're, you know, we're, we're not there yet. We're looking at the next step for, for bison conservation. Yeah. Yeah. And constant, constant work on that. I'm sure. Yeah, so. exactly. Awesome, man. Well, this was, yeah, this is enlightening. This is a cool conversation. <laughs> I went, it went better than I had, I had hoped it would go. And I'm, I'm Good. really happy to have had it. This is going to be a great episode. I think people are going to love it. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on, man. This oh, no good. worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is awesome. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Wasn't that awesome? I was blown away by all of Greg's knowledge, his understanding of the species and his appreciation for them. Uh, yeah, I couldn't ask for a better person to come in to talk about this. So 
yeah, that was awesome. Everything, everything and more that I ever wanted to talk about with bison. I mean, yeah, within an hour and a half, how much more can you stuff in there? <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, yeah, if you like the podcast, make sure to rate and review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you're at. Uh, share with your friends. Tell somebody about it. That's the best thing you can do. Uh, yeah, it's a free podcast. So I appreciate any help you guys can give me. Just get the message out there. So thank you very much. And uh, catch you guys next time. Take it easy. <laughs>